0: Good morning. Welcome to the first, the inaugural episode of my podcast. I am Philip Crawford, and I am so glad that you decided to tune in and join me today. If you're interested in learning more about Philip Crawford Ministries and myself, jump on over to philipcrawford.org. You'll find writing and teachings and more. Uh, You can contact us for prayer, even to talk about ministering in your area. You can also find us on the major social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and so forth. As this is the first episode, let me go ahead and tell you what I have intended for this podcast. Did you know that the average morning commute for an American these days is about 26 minutes? 26 minutes. Well, I wanted to produce something just a little shorter than that. After all, we need to check the forecast and the traffic report, right? But I wanted to produce something just a hair shorter than that commute time to give you an opportunity to build yourself up each week. So whether it's a talk, an interview, a sermon excerpt, whatever it might be, I wanted to produce something to build you up and strengthen you in areas you should hopefully be established in already. I based Philip Crawford Ministries on Colossians 2.7, which says we are to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And that's something I'm seeking to do with this podcast, something to strengthen your roots, something to build you up, something to keep you established in the faith, all while keeping things practical without some far out theological new idea, something you've already should hopefully have been established and taught in. And that's what I'm going to do today. You know, in the last nine months, I have had multiple encounters with people that I've heard about Growing up, I heard about folks like this growing up, but I've never really seen it before, at least not this close up. And it's this unworthy mindset, people, Christian people who have this idea that they are not worthy or not good enough or something along those lines. Well, let me give you an example. Uh, Most recently, I was in an online discussion with some folks, and given the whole state of the world these days with the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of Christian people are talking more and more about the return of Jesus and the end times. And the discussion was kicked over to me for my thoughts on the matter. Well, you know, here's the deal. I'm not really all that interested or concerned with when Jesus is coming back. The Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour. So I'm not going to occupy my time trying to figure out something that the Bible's already said I'm not going to be able to figure out. But there are people who get in these big debates over the tribulation and over the rapture and all that. Well, to me, it's just a waste of time. God's given me an assignment to do here on this earth, and he's given you an assignment to do here on this earth. So rather than stare up at the skies and looking for him to come back, I want to keep focused on what I need to do right now. And that is taking as many people to heaven with me as I can before he does return. And that was the comment that I made about taking people to heaven with me as many as I can. That was the comment that I made that prompted somebody to submit a question. And the question read something like, what if I'm not good enough or or how do I know if I'm good enough? to take people to heaven with me. And I have to admit, I was so surprised by the question, it left me rather speechless. Like I said, I've never really dealt with that line of thinking before. Well, about nine months ago, I preached a message that dealt with how we have been charged with approaching God boldly. And the Bible tells us multiple times that we are to be bold in our faith, to be bold when we approach God on the throne of grace. But a day or two later, I had someone come in to speak with me on the matter. They said, hey, they'd never approached God boldly before. In fact, they always believed that it was kind of the opposite way that they were supposed to approach God. To be honest, they were none too thrilled with me and my idea that we should be bold in our approach to God. Again, I kind of struggled with how to respond. I mean, the Bible expressly tells us in black and white that we are to be bold, but they'd rather believe some old religious notion that they aren't allowed to approach God in such a manner. You've got to come meekly and timidly, kind of begging, maybe perchance he will do something for you. But you know, the more I thought about it, as foreign as it was to me in person, the more I thought about it, maybe it wasn't so foreign. Maybe this is a lot more common than I had realized. I mean, people stand up and sing Amazing Grace. What, you have a problem with Amazing Grace? Well, as a matter of fact, I kind of do. The The line in that very first verse sings, Saved a wretch like me. And you know, I'm not disputing how wretched you and I were before we accepted Jesus, but God didn't leave us miserable wretches. He didn't leave us unworthy, where we need to to beg, and kind of slinked our way into heaven. He didn't leave us that way. Well, this whole issue revolves around one word, righteousness. And that's what I'd like to talk about the first few episodes, righteousness. I think more than just about any other concept, righteousness really divides the body of Christ more than anything else today. Sure, Healing, prosperity, the work of the Holy Spirit, even style of worship have a part to play, as does even, you know, passing political disputes and all that stuff. But more than any of that, righteousness is a concept that really draws a big line in the sand for most believers. I mean, think about it. Take two people. Both of them believe that God can heal, but one believes that he can and will and does with no questions, approach God with faith, there you go. One of them believes that God could heal, but who knows if he will do it for me? I mean, after all, I'm no good. I'm so unworthy. This is the effect of not understanding righteousness. And I've noticed that people who believe this idea of unworthiness or anti-righteousness generally fall into two categories. Not to say there's only two reasons for this, but these are the two biggest that I have run into. First, it's a profound misunderstanding of the word or of the concept of righteousness. After all, if you've been told in the past that no one is righteous, you don't really need to know what it means since it can't possibly apply to you. And second, people think that surely acknowledging such an idea, even if it was true, it must certainly be pride. Well, in either case, religious programming has introduced this notion of unworthiness and fear has kept it solidly in place. But let me say this, if you aren't righteous, then Jesus failed on the cross. You heard me. If you aren't righteous, then Jesus failed. So what does this word mean, righteous? Well, to be righteous simply means to be in right standing with God. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God with no sense of guilt or condemnation. I heard it said last week that all the writings of the Apostle Paul boil down to this one word, righteousness, but I'll take it a step further than that. I think you can make the case that the whole Bible really boils down to righteousness. I mean, Adam and Eve sinned, and all the rest of the Bible tells of God's plan to restore man back to himself. Or, to say it another way, the Bible is God's plan to return man back to a place of right standing with him, to make man righteous. And while I plan on talking about this in greater detail in the weeks to come, I'd like to look at 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. It's hopefully a familiar passage of scripture for you. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So Paul is saying here that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not when you get to heaven. He is saying, behold, all things have become new and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying when a person is in Christ, not only is he a new creation, but when a man is in Christ, he has become reconciled to God. So he makes this plea to the people saying, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why, Paul? Why, what is there for me, a man who is still an old creation, not yet reconciled to God? What will happen to me if I am in Christ? Verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus was made to be sin on your behalf so that you could become the righteousness of God, so that you could become righteous. Well, that sounds like he may be talking about the future. He said, we might become the righteousness of God. No, 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 no. He just got done imploring someone who is unsaved, be reconciled to God because God gave you this opportunity. Well, that may be, but I've just sinned so much. I've done so much wrong in my life. Didn't you hear him say... He was not imputing their trespasses to them. He isn't holding your sins against you. How is that? Because he made Jesus to be your sin. Well, there must be a contradiction in the Bible. After all, I heard a preacher quote from the Bible that there is no one righteous. Well, you know, it does say that. But apparently, that preacher you heard got too tired to keep reading. Because in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it does say, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is not one who understands. There is none who seeks after God. And it goes on and it's terrible. But you see, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament here. Under the Old Covenant, sin was revealed. It showed how sinful man could not live up to the standards of a holy God. In fact, the very next verse after he quotes the Old Testament, Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And to back up there, he says to be justified in his sight. Well, to be justified is to be made righteous. Those two words are interchangeable. And he's saying that under the law, no one could find righteousness. It's brought about the consciousness of sin, not necessarily the means whereby one could become righteous. Couldn't be done. But then verse 21 comes along. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law, has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Righteousness, right standing with God, is available to all who believe. It's true, there is a time where none were righteous, But now that Jesus was made to be our sin and through our faith in Him and His work, we can now stand in the presence of Almighty God without a sense of guilt. Well, fine, that may be true, but walking around talking about being righteous, I mean, that's nothing but pride, right? I mean, who do you think you are? Well, I'd ask, what is pride? In Romans again, this time in chapter 12, Paul outlines what it is to be prideful. The Amplified Translation of the Bible reads, I warn everyone among you not to estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought, not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance. Okay, so don't think more highly of yourself or exaggerate your own importance. Then you won't be in pride. But since when does that mean that you should think lowly of yourself? Not thinking highly of yourself doesn't mean to think lowly of yourself. In fact, if God has called you righteous, then who are you to say that you're unworthy? God has said one thing and you insist that it isn't you. I'd say that's pretty prideful. You saying that you know better than God. No, you are in right standing with God. So be bold in your faith. Be confident in your relationship with God. And don't walk around saying, I'm so unworthy. This week, why not take a renewed approach to prayer? Don't approach God as a beggar, hoping maybe that he will do something for someone so lowly as you. Rather, approach your father, knowing that he sees you as worthy And precious. You aren't entitled to only a coach ticket to heaven. You can walk boldly into the very throne room of God because he made you worthy. You know, in this country, we have plenty of wonderful people who get work visas and come to live and work in this country. Now, they're great people, law abiding, hard working, but you know, they aren't entitled to the same rights that a citizen has. They can't go vote. They don't qualify for things like social assistance programs if they need them. But if you're a citizen, you have a bill of rights that belongs to you. We could say a bill of righteousness, a bill of rights standing with the government of this country. But you know, once those immigrants have taken the necessary steps, they are entitled to everything any citizen is entitled to. Sure. There are people who look down on immigrants and, and literally try to make them second-class citizens, but in the eyes of the law, all the rights and privileges this country offers belongs to them, and it's the same way with God. You took the steps when you accepted Jesus, and now everything that is promised in the word belongs to you. It's your right. If you have never accepted Jesus... You can change that easily. Just pray, Father, I believe in my heart that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you that I am now a new creation. Thank you that I am now in right standing with you. Amen. Well, we will talk more about this next week when we look at what it means to have a legal right now that we are not just in right standing, but have also been made sons. The week after that, I'd like to look at what we do. I mean, after all, being righteous must mean that I never sin. Well, it doesn't, and we will look at that. And the week after, we will look at today's extreme view of righteousness, what I call hyper-grace. Where do we draw the line with sin if God will forgive us anyways? Well, until next week, God bless you. I'm so glad that you tuned in today. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of every new episode. For more information about myself and Philip Crawford Ministries, please visit philipcrawford.org. And as always, tell somebody about Jesus this week.